A young African-American girl in a purple sweatshirt sits in front of a table with two dolls on it, one white and one black. Off camera, an interviewer questions the girl about the dolls. And can you show me the doll that looks bad? Okay. And can you give, and why does that look bad? Because it's black. And why do you think that's a nice doll? Because she's white. And can you give me the doll that looks like you? The little girl pauses for a moment, touching the white doll. Then she pushes the black doll forward toward the interviewer. The camera fades to black. This scene comes from a 2005 documentary called A Girl Like Me, but it speaks to a much longer history. A Girl Like Me recreates the Clark doll tests, the 1940s experiments that used black and white baby dolls to test the effect of racial prejudice on African-American children. Doctors Kenneth and Mamie Clark found that the majority of black children in their experiments preferred playing with the white baby dolls and identified white dolls as good and black dolls as bad. These findings were used to help overturn legalized segregation through the 1954 Brown v. Board of Education decision, making the Clarks and their experiments famous. A Girl Like Me was directed by a young African-American filmmaker named Kiri Davis. Davis was a teenager when she made the short film, and she wanted to recreate the Clark experiments to see, in her words, how we've progressed since then. Fifteen out of 21 children in Davis's experiments preferred the white doll, suggesting that we haven't progressed very far. But A Girl Like Me is about more than the doll tests. Most of Davis's seven-minute film focuses on racialized beauty standards and cultural norms. In the documentary, young African-American women reflect on the messages they've received about their appearance and the effect these messages have had on them. You have to have permed hair, relaxed hair. You know, straight hair or like blonde hair, you know, long weaves or something. And if it's natural, that's even, that's, that's good hair. Like bad hair is hair you have to relax because it's kinky. The film paints a bleak picture of the messages our children receive about race, beauty, and self-worth. And the doll tests are really important to the work the film is doing. By recreating the doll tests, Davis hammers home that children start to absorb these messages at a young age. She connects the young children choosing their favorite doll to the older teenagers wrestling with beauty standards, and she draws a direct link between the historical experiments and our present moment. A Girl Like Me is just one example of a contemporary recreation of the doll tests. In fact, the experiments have been recreated many times between the 1940s and today, sometimes by individuals like Kiri Davis, and sometimes by major magazines and news outlets like CNN. And the experiments continue to have a real emotional impact on audiences. Here are some comments from viewers who watched A Girl Like Me on YouTube. When the kids are choosing their favorite dolls, I feel pretty upset. Shame on America. I cried. This is sad. I hope as a society we can help to change this. This is heartbreaking. Clearly, these tests resonate just as powerfully today as they did when Thurgood Marshall first decided to use the Clark's research in Brown v. Board of Education. But it's less clear how we should interpret the results of these experiments. The doll tests have been recreated and cited so many times that we take their meaning for granted. But in this episode of Death in Numbers, what exactly the tests reveal 
is not as simple or straightforward as it seems. As we discussed on the last episode of Death and Numbers, Brown v. Board of Education relied on proving that segregation inflicted psychological damage on African-American children. You can hear that emphasis in the language of the decision. To separate children from others of similar age and qualifications solely because of their race generates a feeling of inferiority as to their status in the community that may affect their hearts and minds in a way unlikely ever to be undone. The justices cited the research of the Clarks, among other scholars, to support this claim, which is interesting because, as the Clarks themselves admitted, their research didn't actually demonstrate anything conclusive about segregation per se. The Clarks worked with children in both segregated and integrated communities. Their experiments did not indicate that children growing up in segregation were more damaged by racial prejudice than other children. In fact, Some of their results suggested that kids in integrated communities experienced higher levels of frustration and distress during the experiments. What the Clark test did seem to show was that black children had internalized cultural messages about race that were upsetting and damaging to their sense of self. In making their case to the Supreme Court, the NAACP interpreted these findings in the context of the prevailing racial problem of the day, which was segregation. They argued that segregation was the cause of these damaging messages and that ending segregation was therefore the solution. But in the years that followed, changing issues and conversations surrounding racial justice shaped the interpretation of the Dahl tests in new and different ways. Since 1954, the Dahl tests have been cited and recreated many times by research teams, media outlets, and individuals. Gwen Bergner is a professor at West Virginia University and she studied the history of these recreations. Bergner writes that over time, the meaning of the tests shifted along with the dominant conversations and controversies around race. For example, in the 1970s, a new wave of doll tests was cited by black power activists to support the need for black independence rather than integration. In the late 1980s, doll test results were used to push for multicultural education. And Kiri Davis's documentary uses the doll test to draw attention to beauty standards. So each of these examples uses the results of the doll test to make slightly different points. But they are linked by an important assumption, that the doll tests reveal a deep-seated lack of self-esteem in African-American children, what the Supreme Court called in 1954 a feeling of inferiority. That lack of self-esteem is revealed by the children's preference for white dolls, and by their frustration in acknowledging their resemblance to the black doll. Surely everyone can agree on that much, right? Well, maybe not. In her 2009 article on the doll tests, Bergner argues that the link between the tests and self-esteem is anything but clear. The doll tests are an example of what Bergner describes as a forced choice test. Kids have to pick between a few options, and their choices are supposed to reveal something about their internal world. But starting in the 1960s and 70s, researchers began administering so-called direct tests of self-esteem to children. In these tests, researchers directly asked kids questions about themselves and their view of the world. The direct tests got different results. In fact, they revealed that African-American children's self-esteem was equal to or greater than that of white children. 
So the conclusion researchers came to about the self-esteem of African-American children depended a great deal on how they measured self-esteem in the first place. In other words, using the doll test alone might have provided researchers with an incomplete picture. What's more, it turns out that the results of the first doll test might have been misleading. In the Clark's experiments, they asked children a series of questions about which doll they liked best, which doll was the good doll, which doll was the bad doll, and so on. Then the final question asked the child to pick the doll that looked most like them. This is the point in the experiment when many children became upset, providing the Clarks with their evidence of trauma. But it turns out that in early versions of the experiments, the Clarks reversed the question order. They asked the child to start by pointing to the doll that looked like them. And when they did, they got different results. Kids were much more likely to have positive feelings about the black doll if they had started by associating the doll with themselves. The Clarks thought this meant that a child's ego was too bound up in the doll to answer the questions honestly, so they flipped the order. But some critics have argued that reversing the question order meant that the Clarks disregarded findings that worked against their conclusion and structured the experiment to ensure they would get the result they wanted. What does all this mean? The research of the Clarks and the findings of many similar tests over the next half century all point to a clear pattern around racial preference, meaning that African-American children indicated in the experiment that they preferred white dolls. That pattern is clear, and it's interesting, important, and troubling. But Gwen Bergner warns us that, as she puts it, there's no indication that the preference for white dolls among black children indicates anything other than a preference for white dolls. This preference might alarm and upset us, and it certainly points to something alarming and upsetting about our culture, but it does not necessarily imply anything definitive about black children's self-esteem. In other words, black children could have a healthy sense of self and a love for their own appearance and still not choose the black doll. Why? Cultural historian Robin Bernstein has one possible explanation. Her book, Racial Innocence, deals in depth with the history of black dolls, and she suggests that the Clarks might not have been attributing enough importance to the objects they used for their test, the dolls themselves. Bernstein writes that the Clarks' questions encourage children to think about the doll as a toy, something that you play with. For Bernstein, this matters because kids know how you are supposed to play with dolls, and doll play has a long and racist history. Historically, black dolls often portrayed racist stereotypes and were frequently used for racist and violent forms of play. When African-American children in doll tests selected the white doll, they might well have been doing nothing more and nothing less than competently interpreting and reacting to the cultural messages they've received about the kind of play scripted, to use Bernstein's phrase, by each doll. None of this means that the doll tests are unimportant, but they might be important for slightly different reasons than we once thought. Perhaps they tell us less about the psychological well-being of African-American children and more about the warped messages that these children observe and respond to. Perhaps we should focus less on how African-American children are damaged and more on how our society is. If nothing else, complicating the way we think about doll tests reminds us that children's culture is itself complicated. The Clarks might have thought they were setting up an experiment in which neutral objects like baby dolls could be used to show us something about the internal world of children. Maybe they thought of the dolls like blank slates, onto which children would project their thoughts and feelings about themselves or echo what they learn from the culture around them. But the dolls were never neutral. They came with their own racial, political, and cultural history. We'll be diving into that history next time 
on Death in Numbers. This has been Death in Numbers, a podcast created and produced by the Humanities Media Project in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin and Liberal Arts Instructional Technology Services. I'm Caroline Pinkston. Notes for the show, including links and photos, can be found on our website, humanitiesmediaproject.org. Our theme music is Enthusiast by Taurus. Thank you for listening.